You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your only daily Miami Marlins podcast. Today's going to be a mailbag day. Going to answer your questions because it's been a little bit of time since we've done that, and I want to see what you have for me because there's been a lot going on, and now we're getting into the offseason. Now we're getting just into that range of where it's acceptable to talk draft and people won't call me crazy. So I'm so glad that you gave me some draft questions because I am always thinking draft. So I'm more than ready for those. I will say I haven't done my hardcore prep. As you remember, before I had the Locked On MLB Prospects podcast, I still did a full first round mock draft for this Locked On Marlins podcast, which in hindsight is hilarious because that is 29 teams that aren't the Marlins that I ended up ultimately talking about with Ian Smith. But that just shows you how much I enjoy going into the drafts. So trust me, I will have plenty more coverage when it comes to the draft in the future. But I will talk a little bit about who I think the Marlins targets are for the first round right now. Of course, this is a very fluid situation where a lot's going to change after a spring. But there's definitely some guys that I think are on the Marlins radar. And you probably have been seeing a few of the names floated on Twitter. I got a few more for you. And my thoughts on some of the more common names that we've seen And then lastly, just going to answer a couple other random questions that I liked, but I wanted to start with, of course, the news that Don Mattingly won Manager of the Year. I think there's no surprise there. He was undoubtedly the most qualified to win it this year, given everything that happened. While I tend to disagree with his in-game management at times, what he did to keep the clubhouse together, to keep the team motivated, to get everybody to buy in, that's the stuff that really is just as important as the calls you make during the games. I will always appreciate what Don does. I think he's a really good guy. He is a likable coach. He's a player's coach. And they want to win for him. And they did that this year. And there was just a special cohesiveness you saw on this team. And I believe that started with Don Mattingly. So congratulations to him. Much deserved. And excited to see where you can take this team next year as they continue to get better and keep this momentum going. He's in good territory with some good, very good managers of the year for the Marlins in the past. So what are some of the questions that we had fired my way? Well, the first, I'll start with the draft pick questions because I got that multiple times and I want to get into that. I've seen Henry Davis, the catcher out of Louisville, consistently brought up to me. I've seen him plenty, and I like what he can do defensively behind the dish. I think he's got a very quick bat as well at the plate, but I have some concerns with his approach overall if we're going to talk about using a first-round pick on this guy. Again, this will change a lot if he puts up a good spring this year, but if I were drafting next month, I will have said we haven't seen enough of him to take him in the first round at that pick. He might not even be there if he has a good spring. I would say he definitely won't be there if he has a good spring. There's a weird thing with high school catchers that just a lot of teams do not like to touch high school catchers. When we think of who the Marlins have selected, Kyle Skipworth as a high school backstop, not ideal. Will Banfield as a high school backstop, plenty of time for him to work things out, but he has struggled offensively a little bit. And the history of just high school catchers is not great. So when you get a chance at a Henry Davis, that's intriguing. 
I just have not seen enough of him at the college level. He's a New York guy, so did not really have the toughest high school competition. I'm not going to try to knock him too hard for that, but I just need to see more. He was fantastic in 13 games when the season was cut short, and that's why it's so frustrating to see the season cut short. He homered in back-to-back ball games to end the year, and then the season's cut off. Those came against Wake Forest and Chicago State, but he was hitting 372 in those 13 games. From the video that I've seen, if we're going to look at just what the eye test reveals, he is fantastic behind the dish. Rocket for an arm, moves well, receives well, just pounces on the ball behind the plate. He's a brick wall back there. I love him defensively, but you have to be able to hit to a certain degree. And yeah, he put up some great offensive numbers, but when I look at his swing mechanically, I'm a little concerned of how that will translate to the professional level. And that's the challenging thing overall with just guys like this, where you're trying to assess a kid's swing. He's barely played in college, not even a year and a half. So, so much could change. He could have a totally different swing by now and have ironed out some of these things that I'm nitpicking and then it's just a moot point. But what I'm looking at now from the video that I saw from this past season, he is very top-hand dominant, meaning he cuts his swing off a little bit, and I think that he collapses. He's a little bit uphill with his swing. Still able to hit the ball well because he has such a quick bat and a good approach. I'm getting nitpicky here because this is the Marlins' first-round pick and you're looking at catchers. I think that if you're trying to go the college route, to get a catcher because high schoolers are more risky. If Henry Davis doesn't put up a great year this year, then he's not much more different than your typical high school catcher because it's not a huge sample size. You didn't get to see him in the Cape and there's still some questions with his bat. He is great, great behind the plate and the production is there offensively from what we've seen. Just got to see more there. So my answer on Henry Davis would be I'm interested He has my attention. I think that he could be a great option there. But the thing is, is if he has a good year, he probably won't be there at 16. If he doesn't have a great year, I don't know if I want him at 16. So it's a bit of a catch-22. But I will hedge with another catcher that I really like. And I hate to say he's a high school catcher, but I think I would rather go in this direction right now. Again, a lot can change in the future, but Harry Ford is one of my favorite players in this draft. It's early, but one of my favorite players in this draft, a catcher from the right side, incredibly athletic, a guy that's great behind the dish as well, but he runs a 6'5", 60-yard dash and has an 85-mile-per-hour arm behind the dish. He throws it down to second 85 miles an hour. Absolutely absurd. He flies, and he has a great swing. It's short, compact, efficient, repeatable, and every video I've seen, again, it's repeatable. He just does a good job of being able to explode while remaining compact. He's not a big guy. He's, I think, 5'10", and still generates so much pop, almost pushing 100 miles per hour on the exit velo, according to Perfect Game. I love everything that I've seen from this guy. And when you think very athletic catcher, of course, that's going to remind you of JT Real Muto, a high school guy that is very athletic, that is good behind the dish. Real Muto wasn't even much of a catcher at that point when he was drafted, but just the athletic catcher that can swing it, that can do everything pretty well. I have my money on Harry Ford being one of the better players in this draft when it comes around to that time. 
Everything that I've seen from him, I love. And that's a guy that's at the top of my radar right now for catchers. Though if Henry Davis has a big year, he's probably the safer pick. Harry Ford has maybe some of the natural ability to be maybe one of the best players in this draft. That's how much I like what I've seen from him. Just a freak athlete all in all. Two other guys, high schoolers, that I like that aren't catchers. Andrew Painter, local kid out of the same high school as Marlins fourth round pick Jake Eater, who was just selected in this year's draft out of Vanderbilt. They both played together at Calvary Christian High School. Painter, six foot seven, but already has very sound mechanics, which is so important to me for a guy that is that tall. Effortless velocity, shows a good feel for the off speed. He might not be there for the Marlins, and I know that they are loaded with pitching, but Painter could be special. We'll see what the Marlins think of him. Marcelo Meyer, another guy that is just somebody I dream on for a potential option for the Marlins. A shortstop with a beautiful swing from the left side. Would not be upset with that guy going to the Marlins in the first round as well. I don't know if he'll be there because all of these guys are freaks. I am very high on this draft. I think this is going to be a loaded draft high school wise. Look up Marcelo Meyer. He's on Twitter. There's a video Ian Smith had tweeted out. You'll probably be able to find it if you search Marcelo Meyer spelled exactly as you think it sounds. His swing is so nice. I promise you'll watch the video more than once from Ian Smith who does a good job with all of the video he puts out there. So those are all great options. Harry Ford, top of my list right now. And I just dragged out that first question. So we're going to fly through a couple others real quick. Mike Zanino. I'll try and keep this one quick because I, look, I know that Mike Zanino, he's a catcher. He's from down here. Seems like a good fit. Maybe as a backup because Zanino's best days are behind him. And he never really turned out to be that guy that everybody had hoped but just hit a buck 50 this year. Yeah, he was part of a winning team with the Rays. Yeah, he runs into baseballs. He plays good defense. I would love Zanino as a backup guy or a platoon catcher, something along those lines. But the Marlins, if they're not looking to spend in that regard, I don't think Zanino will be expensive. I don't think he'll be far off from the veteran minimum. But I don't know if that'll be worth it for the Marlins if they can just retain Chad Wallach. Up to them. We'll see what they'll do. But if I'm looking to upgrade my catching position. As a starter, Mike Zanino, I don't think that's my guy. I like where you're thinking. I like that option potentially if the Marlins really just decide that Alfaro is not the guy because Zanino is better defensively and receives better. But Alfaro offensively is better than just a better all-around hitter than Mike Zanino at this point. And just the swing and miss with Zanino is going to be very frustrating if he's on your team, especially with the Marlins as a ball club that have some young guys that might be going through some growing pains here and there. They need some offensive production out of catcher, which kind of leads me into the other option that answers also another question. We'll kill two birds with one stone. I've mentioned this guy in the past a couple of times, but I think Salvador Perez is such a good option for the Marlins trade-wise or Christian Vasquez. So if you're asking 
who the Marlins should look at trade-wise. Those are two of my favorite guys. Christian Vasquez could be a perfect fit for the Marlins because they could dangle Eliezer Hernandez. The Red Sox would bite on that in two seconds because they need a guy like Eliezer Hernandez or a Nick Neidert or one of those guys that the Marlins have that would instantly plug into the Red Sox rotation but is also cheap and controllable because we know they're a little bit handcuffed financially. Salvador Perez, the price will definitely be steeper. The Rays are pretty solid pitching-wise. While I don't think they'll turn down a quality pitching prospect, the Marlins would have to tap into their outfield prospects because the Rays need out or the Rays, the Royals, excuse me, need outfielders. So both teams actually match up well for the Marlins because the Marlins have two things of a lot in their system. They have a lot of pitchers and a lot of outfielders. The Royals need outfielders. The Red Sox need pitchers. It makes sense. Whoever doesn't have the more ridiculous price, you go in that direction. I think that the Marlins would be in a great position if they acquired a veteran Salvador Perez or Christian Vasquez, two of the best defensive catchers. You'll see Salvador even better. And how great would it be to have a Salvi Perez behind the dish with your young pitching staff and having somebody like that handle him? If you really liked what Chad Wallach did, if you're the Marlins, then you will love what Salvador Perez will do with your pitching staff. He will help so much, and he's helped catch a lot of young good young pitchers coming up, whether it was Jordano Ventura, rest in peace, or whether it was some of the guys coming up this year like Brady Singer or Chris Bubich that made their debuts for the Royals. There's so many decent arms that have made their debuts for the Royals and veteran arms that Salvi Perez has caught through the years. That is a guy I would love to have on my team with a young and exciting pitching staff. A few more really good questions ahead, but a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. 18 delicious flavors, 6 new ones, covered in chocolate, low in calories, low in fat, high in protein. What else could you want from a protein bar? It tastes like candy, but it doesn't have all of the junk that a candy bar has. Best of all, it works for a keto diet. I didn't really know what a keto diet was, but then I googled it. And it sounded like it was something that was good for me. So I just kept eating the Built Bars. They're really good. They're good for you whether you're trying to lose or maintain weight while still indulging in a delicious treat. And if you go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, you get 20% off and a free cooler with your purchase. BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off and a free cooler. So some other really good questions. JJ Bleday, when can we see Bleday up? Well, that is a little bit harder to tell given the fact that we didn't get to see a season this year, which you know, but I think that there is a very, very good shot that we see Bleday by the end of next season. He is a guy that is a rapid climber by just his mold, very smart at the plate, very advanced approach, very good swing, and repeatable and also just a pro up there. He looks like a big leaguer already. I've heard nothing but good things about him from what he was doing at Instructs. He looks like a guy that is very much knocking on the door to be a major leaguer from what I've heard, and I expect Bladé to be up by the end of next year, and I expect Bladé to be a legitimate dude. And that sounds weird. I almost can't picture him being on the team by the end of next year, but after... Already getting his feet wet in high A in the season before this past year, and then now having this whole year to work with the Marlins, work in Instructs, and just improve and work at the alternate training site. I really think that he's getting closer there, and I expect if he has a good year in Double A, 
that he could be up there by the end of the season, which would be just so nice for the Marlins, especially if some of the other outfield prospects are still struggling. That's why I am a little bit hesitant to expect the Marlins to go out and acquire any outfielders like a Michael Brantley or somebody, because I think the Marlins have a legitimate hope that Blade could be up by the end of next year. I know they have some hope that some other outfield prospects could be up by the end of next year as well, on top of the ones that we've already seen that made some debuts this past year. So a crowded outfield, and they definitely want to figure out what they've got. So I'd be surprised to see if the Marlins go out and acquire an outfielder. But again, you never know what they could do because this team has just been one to surprise you sometimes when you least expect it. Overall, final answer, Blade by the end of next year is what I expect. Marlins infield in 2023, that's a really tough question because if we're assuming that they're not going to be going and getting anybody out of the system, which is the stipulation in this question from Daniel, who always hits me with some fire questions, I'm going to say B.A. at third, Jazz at short, Salas at second base, Diaz at first. Will Salas be ready? We'll have to see. I have heard good things about Salas at Instructs. He is definitely a guy that has put on some weight. He is filled out quite a bit. He looks like a different person than the picture you see on his like MLB pipeline uh, page. He looks like a totally different person. He has just grown rapidly. And if he's continuing on that trajectory and if we're assuming that his offensive game is continued in that way, then I think he could be up by 2023. I don't think that's that crazy because he had the time and instructionals this year. He'll have a full season next year. Then he'll have a full season after that. And then maybe even a beginning of the season to get ready. Two and a half years on top of this weird kind of season that we had. That could be enough time for him as somebody that has another guy that is mature beyond his years as a 17-year-old going on 18 years old. I could see Salas making his way up there. But another big part of that is that I'm not as high on Devers. I think that we've gotten very excited on Devers, who is, look, he did a great job in his little stint in high A, but I think the fact that we haven't gotten a chance to see him play since is almost glorifying that stint, where it wasn't enough for me to really be sold. It was 33 games in high A where he puts up that 325 batting average, but doesn't hit for any semblance of power, which we know is a big problem for him. And even with that 325 batting average, 750 OPS, you're not going to see much extra base hit power from him. He's only hit two home runs in his entire minor league career, and they both came in 2017. Contact first shortstops just don't really, that's not really the future of the position. Look at every shortstop in the game right now, or every solid one, they hit for power. There's just not very many contact-oriented shortstops. And yeah, you could move them to second base, but even second base. How many just contact, contact, contact second baseman, middle infielders are there? I just don't even know if I'm that sold on him as a hitter as well. Like He showed some good flashes. I'd need to see more, and I'm just not going to be planning for him to be a major leaguer sometime soon based on 33 games in high A. And I'm sorry if that's overcritical. I just think that we might need to temper the expectations on him a little bit. I will hedge that and say that he is incredibly young. He's just about to turn 21. So again, a lot can change. But I don't know if there's much room in his body to fill out like Salas. And I just don't know if there's as much there. He could easily prove me wrong. 
and I I hope he does. I just don't know how much is there. I see more of a utility man type of profile for him, whereas Salas has the potential to be a legitimate major league starter. Lewin Diaz at first base, that goes without being said. The Marlins don't really have many other first base prospects, though I will say if Diaz doesn't pan out, which I think he will, and I don't have many doubts about it, Evan Edwards, I am very excited about Evan Edwards, and I think that he is a legitimate hitter. I love his swing, I love his approach, and I like what he's done so far. Keep an eye out on Evan Edwards. He could be a dude, and he could be some insurance to Diaz because I think he is a very good hitter and a guy that will have success at all levels. I don't think that he'll have that learning curve as much with his experience in college, not missing a beat in pro ball so far. I think that he's going to continue to be a type of guy that translates pretty pretty quickly and pretty well to the next levels. Another question I got was, who could enter the top 100 list for the fish this upcoming year? Great question. And some of the answers might be obvious. Peyton Burdick, absolutely, will be making a push to that top 100 list. Another one that I very, very much think could make a push is Victor Mesa Jr. I have heard Nothing but incredible things about what he has shown in the instructional league. The team is incredibly excited about him. Victor, Victor Mesa, it's so ironic, you know, with how much money the Marlins shelled out for him. And it was almost like a package deal, but people weren't really talking about Mesa Jr. Mesa Jr., from what I've heard, looks like, we already know he's the better prospect at this point, but looks like a dude and is continuing to just get better and better every time he steps foot on the baseball field. Mesa Jr., with a good year, I think could make a push into that top 100 range. If I'm making a top 10 right now, graduating some of the prospects like Sixto from this past year and graduating maybe one or two others, you could make a push for Victor Mesa Jr. in the top 10. I think he's solidly in my top 15 Marlins prospects from next year for next year from what I've seen video-wise and from what I've heard. I think that there is a good chance that he makes a push. I'll give you my homer pick, too, of Griffin Conine. I mean, the strikeouts, of course, are alarming, but the home runs are ridiculous. He missed 50 games in the Midwest League, led the league in home runs, and if you look at WRC Plus across all levels, that's A-ball, double-A, triple-A, there were two players in the Marlins system that were in the top seven in all of the minor leagues in WRC Plus with a minimum of 250 plate appearances. That was Peyton Burdick and Griffin Conine, both among the top seven in WRC Plus among all minor leaguers. That is Definitely something to be excited about if you're a Marlins fan. Yeah, Griffin has those strikeout concerns, but if you saw the write-up by Jim Callis about the Marlins Instructional League and they talked to some of the Marlins personnel and the head of development, not Gary Dembo, but one of the other guys that are among the top of the head of development, and there's so many guys in there, the Marlins have funneled so much personnel and money into player development, which we know. And the players that were highlighted in there were Burdick, of course, Griffin Conine, and then a couple others. Nas Nunez looked really good defensively. I'm still not sold on his bat, but Burdick was special, was even made available for media for the media, which they don't do very often, just out of the blue with prospects. Griffin was referred to as a hitting machine, which is a funny thing to hear about a guy that struck out over 30% of the time. But what I'll say about Griffin, and this is all I'm going to say because he'll get mad at me if I say much more, is that 
you will see a different hitter this coming year. There's been a lot of adjustments made. He's spent a lot of time studying the game and studying the best hitters, picking the brains of the best hitters, and just he's a smart dude that just hates the strikeout label on his forehead. Expect that to change. That's all I'll say about that. With Burdick, we saw what he can do. I am very, very eager to see what he can do going up to the next levels because he is just all-around five-tool potential player, can do it all, and excited to see what he can continue to do now as he continues to put it together. But he looked great in Instructional League. Victor Mesa Jr., like I said before, very high on him. And let's look out for Kyle Nicholas. I don't think he makes a push to the top 100, but from what I saw Instructional League-wise, video-wise, he has really honed in on those mechanics, showed much more feel for the strike zone and his secondary stuff. Kyle Nicholas was fantastic at the end of the college season and looks like he kept it rolling into the instructional leagues. I will bet on the Marlins being able to develop a guy that can run the fastball into triple digits, has a plus breaking ball, and is still trying to find the changeup, but he's been working on it. He talked about it with me in the interview I did with him a few months back after the draft. I expect him to start to put things together and don't sleep on McCampbell either. Those two guys, those guys aren't going to make a push to the top 100 just yet, but they are going to make a push up the Marlins system. Overall, I would say the two most likely guys, given their age and just what they are able to do and what they are projected to do, in my opinion, I'm going to give Victor Mesa Jr. and Peyton Burdick a really good shot at being top 100 prospects by the middle of this year. Maybe Gerard Encarnacion, I'm not as sold on him as offensively with just a little bit too much length on a swing and not the best pitch selection. We'll see if he's made any adjustments there. If he has, then Encarnacion could be on a similar profile as Griffin Conine is, in my opinion, but a lot to be excited about in the Marlins system and a lot of guys that I think could end up really putting it together this coming year. So it'll be cool to see if that all happens for the fish because we've had some frustration with some of the guys making debuts and just have not quite had the debuts that we were hoping for. So we'll see how that goes. As always, thank you for your questions. I hope you enjoyed this. Let me know if you want me to do more of these episodes in the future. I'm always happy to answer any questions. Even if I'm not doing an episode, my DMs are open. Always feel free to fire questions away or engage with me on Twitter. I will always try to answer. Thank you for listening as always, and I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.